Well, I'd like to welcome everyone out to the Solar Podcast. I'm Dave Anderson, the host of the Solar Podcast, and I'm just thrilled to have with us today Ben Millar and Beth Matuga. And I'm going to let them give a little bit of an introduction to themselves. Um, I will maybe just tee up that we're going to be talking a lot about the Florida solar market, but I think it actually has a lot to do with, and we can extend some of the things that are happening in Florida across the country, um, because for whatever reason, solar becomes a politicized thing in different areas, and it really affects homeowners, affects small businesses, it affects each of us as individuals, because all of us are users of energy. And I think talking about this is going to be something that's really fascinating and really interesting for both homeowners, as well as really fascinating uh, for people that are in the solar industry or people that are just following the solar industry from the peripheries, whether you uh, feel like solar is a great technology, a terrible technology, Technology, energy is something that affects us all, and, and we're going to try to dive into those things, and we're going to use Florida as an analog to, to better understand what's actually happening across the country. So maybe without further ado, we can have Beth, if you wouldn't mind giving a little introduction to yourself, and, and I understand you're fairly new to solar, so you can kind of talk about how you uh, stepped in or tiptoed into, into, into solar for the first time. Yes. Thank you, Dave. Uh, thank you for having me. And uh, I am Beth Matuga. Um, I am the campaign manager for uh, Flacia. So during the legislative uh, session earlier this year, um, Flacia embarked on a, a very aggressive campaign um, concerning the net metering uh, proposed legislation uh, that, as we know, I don't want to spoil anything, uh, was eventually successful in so much as Governor Ron DeSantis vetoed uh, the net metering bill. And I have been working in Florida politics and government for 20 some odd years. Uh, and this is my first foray into the solar market and the solar industry. I really um, had no particular uh, knowledge or special insight into solar prior to coming uh, to help out Flacia at the beginning of the year and have really been uh, overwhelmed with the enthusiasm and the dedication of the folks, um, not only at Flacia, but the larger uh, sort of solar aligned solar organizations and proponents. Um, so I appreciate you having me on. And yeah, I think that there's some really interesting uh, takeaways from what's gone on in Florida over the last several months. And hopefully we can get similar good results all over the country. Thanks for that. Um, ben, also, I should just mention that both Beth and Ben have a connection with Flossia. And Ben, as part of your introduction, if you wouldn't mind just giving our listeners an overview of who Flossia is as well, I think that might be useful. Yeah, so Flossia stands for the Florida Solar Energy Industries Association, which is a mouthful to say, so we just say Flossia. Uh, you know, we as an organization, the organization is actually quite large or quite old, uh, it started in 1977, uh, and it's interesting, Florida's solar industry was a cottage industry for quite a while, until maybe seven years ago that it really started to blossom and really took off maybe maybe five years ago, uh, and now has, has turned into, I would say, somewhat of a powerhouse uh, and, and an industry that's continuing to grow. And I believe we have the, the second or third largest solar industry and, and jobs in the country as a state. So uh, FACIA represents a lot of the largest uh, solar companies, uh, and that's both contractors, vendors, uh, you know, uh, distributors, manufacturers, the whole, the whole gamut. Great. And a little bit more about yourself, Ben. I know that you're a business owner aside from being a, a member of the board at FACIA. Yeah, absolutely. 
So uh, I own Sun Harvest Energy along with my brother who owns uh, part of it as well. We actually employ another brother. Uh, we started our company uh, back in September, but I've been in the industry for, I don't know, 10, about 10 years now. And even before that, I was in energy efficiency uh, and also in uh, home building. So I've been in the building construction, energy efficiency, and green building, sustainable building industry for a good 20 years now. Would you want to include solar? Yeah, and I think uh, also maybe worth mentioning as well uh, to say that you're in the trenches, or at least the proverbial trenches, I think is a little bit of an understatement. So I know that you actually stepped off of a project, literally off of a roof, to join the call with us today. So we're particularly grateful, and you're welcome as well. I hope that you're uh, able to cool off in the car and, instead of being in the Florida sun. But uh, uh, being on a roof in Florida, let alone anywhere, installing solar can be really a, um, a pretty, from a heat perspective, intense job to say the least. But I'll give you a little bit of a secret. Uh, it is still hot in the car. And because of the audio performance, I am uh, turning the air conditioning off while I'm speaking. And then we'll mute myself and turn on the <laughs> air conditioning. while we, uh, <laughs> just, a, just a quick secret there. Because I know what the temperature is in Florida, if, if I hear a little bit of a fan noise, I think both I as well as the listeners can be a little bit... Uh, um, uh, a little forgiving of that. So, but, but thanks for, for accommodating the, the audio there as well. Well, perfect. So I think Ben, you're going to have some really fantastic, uh, perspective for all of the listeners, what it really means to be uh, a business owner in a highly politicized environment where really, and legitimately, I don't think I'm, I'm being, in, or, or speaking with hyperbole when I say that people's, many people's jobs were really on the line in Florida, uh, as it relates to this bill, uh, that was proposed. So Beth, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love if you could give us an overview of what that proposed bill was and what precisely Flossia was trying to do as it relates to the bill. And, and I guess it really goes into and speaks really to the heart of what you were ultimately contracted to do for Flossia. Sure. And Ben, I just want to thank you for being on because Ben, we're, we're going to rely on you for uh, the more nuanced data and policy issues uh, with regard to solar. So I was hired to help out organizing, essentially, uh, a legislative campaign or effort surrounding two bills that were filed, one in the state house and one in the state Senate, concerning net metering, uh, which is the process by which uh, the power that is generated from a residential solar installation is uh, sent back into the grid. And the scenario was such that the large for-profit investor-owned utilities, or IOUs, as we call them in, in Florida, were proponents of these two bills and uh, worked very closely with the sponsors of the bills uh, in order to kind of craft language that was pretty helpful uh, to them. And the net metering changes that would have resulted would have been devastating to the uh, solar installer uh, and, and broader solar community in Florida. And so we'll let Ben talk a little bit about the exact nuances uh, of the content of the bill, um, but that was the scenario. It was a very dire situation for the solar industry in Florida, and the effort to combat these two bills actually began in the fall of 2021. And the, the efforts were multi-pronged. It's important also to mention, uh, as Ben said, that Flacia has been around since the 70s, but has never had to activate itself or its members or its allied partners in the way 
that it was compelled to um, this past, you know, several months. And so great credit to the leadership of Flacia for recognizing uh, this impending issue and the ramifications that it could potentially have uh, for everyone in the industry and um, activating uh, their networks and their installers uh, in order to kind of rally the troops and prepare to, you know, fight this net metering battle. And so back in the fall of 2021, when it became clear that this was going to be an issue uh, that came up during legislative session, uh, Flacia embarked on an aggressive strategy to hire a lobbyist, first and foremost. Um, but in order to hire a lobbyist, you have to raise some money. And so um, the leadership of the organization undertook its largest and most successful fundraising campaign from its own members and from partner organizations, both within the state of Florida and around the country, and uh, secured a, a great deal of national grant funding and also opened a political committee, which is an entity in Florida that can accept contributions and then distribute uh, campaign contributions and political contributions to other political entities in the state. And so that was sort of an effort to demonstrate to uh, the folks in Tallahassee and the broader political world that the solar installers and the, and the industry was real and was robust and able to respond to this kind of threat and has skin in the game and is going to be around for a while. And so uh, established that political committee, raised uh, a significant amount of money into it, and then spent uh, several months uh, meeting with key legislators, um, supporting certain campaigns and certain political entities uh, in order to build relationships with those folks, knowing that uh, eventually we would have to work with them very closely uh, in order to uh, fight the net metering battle and defeat these bills. And so that effort not only included the hiring of a lobbyist, but the hiring of me. And it grew into uh, a partnership with more than 15 state and national uh, organizations of all stripes and flavors. It grew into um, television, radio, uh, mass communications, digital advertising, word of mouth, letter writing campaigns, op-eds, contacting each and every legislator, and finally culminating uh, in the legislative session when the bills were heard. You did a fantastic job of just sort of like setting the arena or setting up the uh, an understanding for the listeners about how politicized these types of things really become. Uh, you have an investor-owned utility that goes and gets a state legislator to champion a bill that would substantively change the way that a homeowner can benefit by solar. And a homeowner, there's really only a few things that generally matter to the homeowner when considering uh, renew or solar as a as a as an energy source for their home, and it's the it's the cost of putting solar on your home, and then the economic benefit that you can receive. 
um, for the surplus amount of power that your home, or excuse me, that the solar panels produce that's not used by the home, you have to be able to do something with that electricity, whether it's stored in the home and then used later, or whether it's stored on the grid and used by your neighbors. So it might be useful to kind of back up just a little bit and understand the, the existing net energy metering program that exists. So Ben, I don't know if you wanted to try to explain for us what the economic benefit is presently for a homeowner in Florida, what sort of net energy metering exists today. And then we can sort of transition into talking about how the bill would have changed the existing net energy metering program. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't, I like to not say that net, net metering is a benefit. In a way, it's just fair trade of energy fair trade of credits, right? The benefit comes from the sun. The tool that enables you to kind of get the full reward for harvesting the sun, as obviously my company likes to say, is net metering. And so it's really just an even exchange of, hey, here's a kilowatt hour of energy. Uh, later on, when I need a kilowatt hour energy, you you know take it from my tab, which I've got credits on, right? And so this net metering bill would have been pretty devastating because homeowners investments would have been undervalued right the the energy that they would have provided to the grid would have been undervalued they've been shortchanged for any of the energy that they sent to the grid which by the way the utilities would have taken that energy sent it all of 20 feet to their neighbors and would have stayed pretty local and sold that energy at full price right and so, you know, net metering essentially gives you full credit for any energy you send onto the grid. It's just an even exchange, one credit for one credit. Nobody uh, benefits greatly uh, from that. Uh, nobody's hurt greatly from that. It's just an even exchange. And when you get rid of that, what happens is you actually end up subsidizing the utility by huge amounts. And it makes your investment as a homeowner in solar, it makes it and well, makes it a poor investment once you get rid of net metering. And that was the initial bill that was proposed is basically getting completely rid of net metering and devaluing homeowners' investment, and therefore homeowners would be less likely to decide to move forward. Yeah, and I think... You know, just to try to be as fair as we can, understanding that obviously this is the solar podcast, we're huge proponents of and advocates for solar across the country, uh, renewable energy generally, uh, but certainly specifically solar. But just to try to be objective for our listeners as well, those that are opponents of net energy metering would say that uh, solar customers are benefiting from the grid without subsidizing or without paying their fair share uh, of, of being connected to the grid. In other words, they get to benefit from the grid without having to incur any of the cost. And, and by so doing, the other whatever, if it's 95% of homeowners, depending on the market penetration in any given area, uh, essentially... Uh, the 95% that don't have solar end up subsidizing the cost of the infrastructure of the grid uh, for the benefit of everyone, but solar customers aren't paying their fair share. That would be the argument that opponents of net energy metering would, would make. And the truth of it is, is that at some point, every market needs to uh, move from early adopters into um, a system where all homeowners 
can go solar and we can still maintain a grid. And, and you see markets like Hawaii, where uh, solar saturation is such that uh, batteries really are required for the grid network to work there. And we're seeing that in pockets in California where it's becoming increasingly important to consider now that we're getting solar penetration with homeowners. And this, this bill would have uh, taken away essentially the entire economic benefit of being able to sell your unused electricity to the grid, if I'm understanding it correctly. Is that right? No, no, you do not sell your energy to the grid. You simply, when you provide energy to the grid, you actually get a credit for that, but there's no selling to the grid. You're just getting a one-for-one -one credit exchange for the energy you produce. But I do want to talk a little bit to what you were saying before, but it's really important nuance. There's a couple of things that were said, hey, if you are a solar homeowner, maybe you're not paying your fair share to the grid. Well, one, solar homeowners in Florida and across the country often still pay a decent amount of money into for their utility bills. They're paying connection fees, as well as not everybody gets 100% of their energy from the sun and from uh, their solar system, so that they, they actually are on average paying uh, into the grid, not to mention that solar homeowners actually cost less to actually service. Another interesting kind of point there is you know, to say, hey, well, they're not paying for the grid. Well, if you think about what Beth said, these are for-profit companies. If you decide to have your own garden, you're not paying for your grocery store. It doesn't mean that you are somehow being subsidized in some way. So, you know, that that argument, I think, is not quite right until you reach at least a really high saturation. Uh, and in Florida, we were less than a 1% saturation. Uh, the studies done by NREL show that there are, is a basically non-existent uh, uh, exchange of benefits slash credits slash subsidy until you reach 10%. And then once you reach 10% saturation, this is the amount of generation you are actually, you're actually still pretty negligible in those numbers. And so we weren't talking about, hey, these are negligible, negligible changes that they were enacting. They were actually getting rid of net metering right yeah. away. Yeah. And thanks for the clarification. I think it's a common misconception, but all too, but but commonly described as buying and selling your energy with the like with the grid. And that's not quite what it is. The net energy metering agreements typically are allowing you to receive a credit off of your energy bill up to the value that they would charge you for electricity. And different states have different net energy metering exchanges. For example, in the state of Utah, where we're filming this podcast from, uh, it's, a, it's a fixed rate. So you have what they call a feed-in tariff. So rather than having a one-for-one -one exchange for net energy metering, where you get a credit uh, that equals the value of the electricity that you would have purchased at the same time, you get a different rate for the energy that's placed back on the grid uh, compared to the energy that you would pull off the grid and consume. So there's different net energy metering programs. Uh, they tend to be fairly similar uh, where you're getting a similar, you know, something close to a one-for-one -one exchange in, in the more favorable utilities. Um, there are, of course, utilities that don't offer any net energy metering. And for those customers, really, the only way to consider solar would be to use storage, um, almost like an off-grid solution. So, Beth, I might want to come back to you if I could 
and and just talk about. So you're a political operative. So you uh, and and you had admitted to me uh, before we started the podcast that you're actually fairly new to solar, uh, and you're you uh, are a solar rookie, so to speak. Really, only looking into it since the beginning of of 2022. Um, maybe you can kind of just help us understand how is it that Flossia. Uh, needed, first of all, to have a political operative. Why is it that we're uh, in an industry, first of all, if I can get your opinion on this, why are we in an industry that's so politicized? Why is it that our long-term viability as an industry requires us to work with the heads official or officials at, at the very top of government? That's both at the federal level as well as at the state level. And maybe just go into a little bit about um, about exactly why Flossia found, or felt it was so necessary to, to find a contractor like you to come in and, and help with the fight. Sure, that's a great series of questions. So I'll start with the first one. Um, the reason that Flossia needed someone like me is because um, Florida government is incredibly complex. Um, it Florida is a very, very big state and a very big solar market. Um, and commensurately, our government is large and uh, very confusing for folks who don't understand it. And so um, knowing how committee meetings are run, knowing what legislators like to hear about, knowing the best methods to communicate with legislators and their offices, and then doing the coordination work on the back end to make sure that the individual members of FLACIA who are, for example, traveling to Tallahassee to testify uh, at a committee meeting know where the committee meeting is. How are they getting there? Are they prepared to speak uh, correctly and clearly and coherently in front of legislators for committee meetings to testify in committee meetings? Um, and it, it sounds, I guess, now that I'm explaining it a little simple, but these are pretty complicated matters. Um, and knowing how uh, staff members and government and those people who populate them want to consume information and want to be contacted uh, and what the best ways to do that is in order to persuade them or educate them uh, on our issues um, is why they needed a person like me. Um, and so... I spent a great deal of my time organizing members to travel to Tallahassee, um, to speak directly with legislators, to speak directly with their staff members, um, and in some cases to disabuse them of some of these notions uh, that Ben mentioned, right? Um, because this is such a complex issue and because it's a kind of niche issue, uh, a lot of the, the staff members um, and a lot of the legislators you know, these folks can't know everything and they can't know every detail about every industry in the state. And so we did a lot of education. Um, and that requires having folks like Ben who are on rooftops all day and know exactly how this works, traveling to Tallahassee to explain it and to be good messengers uh, and good representatives of the solar industry in a way uh, that is effective for our effort. Um, and so traveling to Tallahassee, putting on a suit and tie, making sure that your talking points are organized, providing the correct paperwork in order to be uh, heard before a committee. Um, all of those things take back end work. Uh, and that's essentially what I spent a lot of time doing. So that's the reason 
that's uh, you would need someone like me. Uh, I also have a variety of relationships with, uh, you know, vendors for radio, television, digital ads. And so we were really able to uh, leverage my relationships with those folks in order to get the best bang for our buck um, for a larger com mass communication plan that we embarked on. Um, and so for your second question, which I believe was why, why is everything so politicized? Um, well, I, I would just simply answer that, that everything is politicized these days. We live in a, uh, I hate it when people say we live in unprecedented times. I would kill to live in precedented times. Uh, so everything is political these days. Um, and you essentially, you know, solar is a regulated industry. Energy is a regulated industry. And government does have, have a role uh, in regulating, you know, the safety uh, of the, the power that we consume. And so by virtue of the fact, you know, look at uh, Government should do limited things, but it should do those limited things well. And I think uh, the public safety is at heart with government regulating power industries or any sort of energy generating industry. Um, but the devil's in the details, like you said. Um, and so, you know, do I think that uh, there are things that government is overreaching on? Absolutely. But I do think the government has a role in regulating certain things. But so there is a protective role of the government here, and there is a fundamental fairness issue here. Uh, and so that's why it is an issue uh, that comes before the state legislature. Yeah, Ben, I think uh, it might be useful to kind of talk about, and I think you have a really interesting perspective, both as a member of FLASIA on the board, as well as a uh, business owner, as well as a resident of Florida, but you know why is it important that uh, that that this be, that this specific bill was vetoed as it relates to solar in Florida? Well, the reason that it's important to my business and important to many of the businesses that make up Lucia is that this would have devastated the market. It would essentially turn this great homeowner investment into not so great of an investment. And therefore the demand for the product that we sell would have drastically reduced, uh, which is essentially what the utilities wanted to do. We're talking about thousands of jobs lost. Well, I opened my business in September. And so we had goals, we had plans, we had written things that we wanted to do. And even just the fact that the bill was filed had us put many of the things that we were going to invest in on hold. And a lot of companies were facing that same issue. Even when we moved further into a bill that had been modified, people were starting to think, well, do I just get out of the industry right now? Uh, the bill was made to kill the industry. It wasn't made to create some level of fairness or anything to that degree. It was meant to make sure that the utilities maintain complete control and that there wasn't really much of a solar industry uh, that was uh, outside of the utility to, to be alive. And so uh, it would have devastated the industry as well. And I wanna go a little bit further of, hey, why is it then, why do we hire people like Beth? Why do we, why do we go and find ourselves in the legislative realm? And part of it is, you know, I used to work at, at Solar City in 2012 or 13, uh, in, in the early 10 of 2013 to 17. And we always said, hey, you're, you're going out there and you're competing against the utility when you're meeting one-on-one -on -one with a homeowner. And in a way, you, you kind of are. You're saying, hey, you can, there is a cheaper, more affordable way. But the utilities, they're not competing with us with third-party 
solar companies in that way. They're not competing with us at the kitchen table. They're competing with us at the legislative realm, at the regulatory realm. That's where they're competing, and that's where they're trying to write the rules of the game that we're playing. That's where they're trying to write the rules of the market, uh, and they're absolutely trying to tilt them in their own favor. Uh, and they do that by continually being a presence and continually telling what we would call kind of false premise uh, narratives uh, in order to tilt the, the scales in their, in their favor. And so that's why, as an industry, it is imperative that we understand that grown-up big industries must actually have a kind of legislative realm. And whether that's just being part of your industry association or having your own lobbyists, you've got to actually take part uh, in that realm because that is where the utilities are fighting it. Yeah. You know, we had another guest on the podcast recently named Karen Baron. Karen Baron is an investor in a handful of different solar companies as well as uh, was an owner of a of a distributor that recently sold the CED, certainly an expert in the industry. And one of the main topics of conversation for us was we were in some ways jealous of Australia as a market that has received 30% market penetration for homeowner for residential solar and talked about how it's a frictionless place to do business you know, essentially the government legislates all of the utility across the country, um, as well as has set up really favorable, really frictionless, easy rules for contractors to be able to install solar throughout the country. And uh, then we started talking about, you know, there is an advantage to that because it's a pr- it's a pretty pro-solar um uh, economy and pretty pretty pro-solar country and it's pretty you know it's favorable circumstances to work with but one of the benefits of being here in the united states a much larger country is you have 50 different utility commissions you have many many utilities within each of those different utility commissions 50 different states incubating the best ways and the and uh to do business and but as a result you've got at the federal level i think there's a lot of really positive tailwinds helping to promote solar and renewables. And then at the local level, sometimes we find a lot of like really difficult friction points, whether it's with the local inspectors or the the restrictions on uh, contractors on on how to install solar and um, how we install solar, how we submit for permits, the sort of plan requirements can vary pretty significantly one city, one market to the next, and then different utility commissions putting their own rules in place. Um, And so that's why when I talked about Florida being an analog, essentially what Florida is going through right now, other states have gone through um, in either a similar way or in less similar ways, but going through different struggles on their own. Um, And it, it kind of becomes... Um, you know, for example, I'll just mention uh, Florida, or excuse me, uh, California, which has been one of the great solar states in the United States and is uh, is facing uh, NEM 3.0, net energy metering 3.0. And it's one of the largest solar renewable economies in the country. And that economy is being really threatened as well. And it took a governor, not a veto, but a governor being extremely vocal to get NEM 3.0 substantively changed. And um, here's the bad news about Cal for the California market is is um, it's it, while the um, while NEM 3.0 never was fully put into place as proposed, 
there was never any resolution about what NEM 3.0 actually is going to be. So it's this sort of like kick the can down the road, uncertainty, businesses really not knowing what to do still. And I think in Florida, you're dealing a little bit with that as well. Is that right? Uh, to some degree. I think what's happened now is that people do feel a little bit more comfortable to say, yes, let's, hey, I can actually sign that. Maybe I can sign that for year lease for my new warehouse. Hey, we should hire uh, that extra sales team. Hey, we should hire those extra um, installers. Um, but there is this kind of looming threat in some ways that the utilities, this is not a one-stop, uh, one-try, one-at-bat one try for the utilities. Uh, they've actually tried to get rid of net metering multiple times now. One, they did it with a uh, constitutional amendment, which was also called, uh, it got an award for being the most deceptive language uh, uh, of any constitutional amendment that was put forward. Um, they tried to sneak it through the PSC, uh, and now they've tried again through the legislature. And so it is their goal to get rid of solar. And so while we do feel great and we need to move forward and be able to run our businesses, we do know that we also need to make sure that we are still there to educate legislators, uh, to help them understand why solar is important, not only to contractors, but also to homeowners, and really actually help them understand the, uh, the kind of energy paradigm and help us move forward uh, to to a better grid and and a healthy relationship between homeowners and utility companies uh, as we move forward because there's a lot of changes coming to that are coming to our energy infrastructure that we all need to work together to move towards. Yeah, and Ben, I might just ask you what as part of that education process, what should solar look like or the solar adoption look like, and how can contractors like yourself and homeowners best work with the public utility commissions and the utilities to come up with the right kinds of legislation, the right kind of regulation for the industry as for Florida, and then using Florida hopefully as a positive example for the rest of the country? What what should that look like? Well, I'll, you know, I think the governor here has said that Florida is the freest state. So I think one, one thing is we don't want to regulate where we don't have competition. I think competition is a great thing. And so uh, we shouldn't be writing laws that uh, push one group out uh, of the mix. Uh, and if you're talking about going forward, I think there's a strong need for a real look at what our grid looks like, what our energy infrastructure looks like. Uh, going forward, uh, and not being utility-centric, uh, but Florida, Florida and Floridian-centric, uh, and that should take information from multiple stakeholders. Uh, FLCIA being one of them as the industry association. Uh, obviously, the utility should be involved, uh, but we should have a real plan of, of what we want to do and what our what our infrastructure looks like on, on a go forward. We want to we need to know who we're going to be when we grow up. Um, and but we need to actually have a plan. We've got a thousand people a day moving to Florida. Uh, that's the most recent number. We've got uh, EVs are coming. They're here, and and that the infrastructure that's going to be needed to take on EVs is immense. Uh, and so you know we've got a lot of challenges, and I think we can work together. I think we can educate everybody uh, without kind of uh, 
pushing out one form of energy um, and, and, and making sure you're, you know, keep a monopoly. So I, I think we need to be open to all of, all of the things going forward. Um, and particularly in these kind of inflationary times. Yeah. Beth, I might come back to you for a second as it relates to the work that you did specifically for Flossie and actually for Florida. I, I like the way you said that, Ben. It's really uh, the work that you did, I think, is for the benefit of Florida, not just for Flossie of the organization and for contractors and for homeowners alike. Um, but uh, was was the veto from from a. From a from the perspective of um, a political operative, was that a win, or would it have been better to have gone to to vote and ultimately been shot down? What was is this considered a win? What 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 do you think the, the best possible outcome was? Did we get that? And going forward, what sorts of things do you think are going to be required and necessary to ensure that we can kind of keep on the the track of keeping Florida free? I think the most the most overarching feeling about the veto is that it was a very big surprise. You know, while Florida Florida's governor does have uh, veto power, it's not something that is exercised with great regularity. And, you know, I think that the prevailing notion, the common notion, was that the governor would sign this bill. And so it, it did come as a little bit of a, a surprise. And I think Moreover, it kind of is almost a David and Goliath story. Um, you know, the little industry that could kind of rallied the troops and um, kind of went up against uh, some pretty stacked odds and, you know, got the veto. As for whether it would have been better if the bill had, you know, died in committee or or not passed on the floor, I'm not exactly sure what the ramifications would have been there. Obviously, things would have had to change pretty significantly, um, politically speaking, for either of those things to happen. And so I will say that the the ramifications of the veto indicate to us that, you know, this issue is probably not dead and will probably return, uh, if not next year, very shortly thereafter. Perhaps it'll return in the same form or fashion. Uh, perhaps there will be, uh, you know, a, a PSC battle, which is our public service commission here in Florida. And so those are all options on the table. But I think that the veto itself was met not only with some, you know, interested shock, uh, but also a great sigh of relief. And then very shortly after that sigh of relief, uh, the sort of dawning realization that, OK, now we may have to do this again now pretty quickly, perhaps in months. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess uh, Ben alluded to it that this is not actually the first effort or attempt by the utilities to go through a channel, this time legislative, to either substantively change or remove net energy metering benefits for the homeowner. And so, so we should assume that uh, or it's a it's a very safe assumption that, uh, you know, those that are opponents of net energy metering, either because they have a financial gain or they just well, for whatever reason don't like it, are almost certainly going to try to either come at it with a new bill, a uh, a new approach to try to undermine the benefits of the existing net energy metering program. I think that's probably fair to speculate. Um, you know, what Ben referred to with the um, 
the the constitutional amendment would be a different issue should they try to go that route again. Um, the laws have since changed. It now takes a 60 percent uh, vote for passage of a constitutional amendment in Florida. So it's a little bit harder now. It used to be 50 percent. It's a little bit harder now than it was uh, prior. And so um, it may be that that's not as attractive an option. Um, I certainly think that there's work to be done at the PSC um, now that the bill has been vetoed. And, you know, the great news for the industry, of course, is that folks can remain in business uh, while, you know, we undertake these sort of other efforts or, or start looking for where it, it may go in the future. Yeah. And Ben, I might ask you as a member of FLASIA, Obviously, this was the most important thing that was Florida was dealing with in terms of the solar industry. But now that the veto has been enacted or now that there has been a veto, what are the things, the topics that are of the next most importance uh, for Flossia and ultimately the as a solar advocacy group and the proliferation of solar in Florida? What are the things that Flossia is is particularly interested in now that this veto has been, uh, or now that the that the bill has been vetoed? There are a few things. There are a lot of things that we, we need to work on. I think first and foremost, it's making sure that what we were just saying, that this issue isn't going away, is kind of kept in the minds of people. I think to some degree, we were caught uh, sleeping at the wheel a little bit. Uh, no pun intended since I'm uh, on behind the wheel here. But, you know, each time that we went through either the constitutional amendment or whether it was the fight at the PSC, I think there was a sigh of relief and a, hey, let's just put our heads down and go to work now. Kind of said, well, why do we need an industry association? We defeated the main, the main issue. I think now, I think people have come to the understanding that, hey, this is got to be part, this has to be part of our business now. We, we have to be competing at this at this kind of legislative PSC uh, level. And I say competing, it's, it's really just education, but we need to be present. We need to have a voice and we need to make sure that we're, we're heard uh, by, by the people that are regulating us and the people that are creating the laws. It, again, as Beth said, many legislators have really bright people, uh, but they can't know everything. And so they must rely on either industries or homeowners or people to actually communicate with them and, and kind of tell them what's important. So we need to continue doing that. Uh, and then secondarily, we're going to do other normal industry stuff, which is exciting. That's working on our permitting infrastructure uh, inside of Florida. Uh, we're working with uh, the Solar App Foundation uh, and working with building officials here in Florida to see if they'd be interested in taking that up and seeing if that would help them. Uh, we're interested in, you know, insurance matters. We're in, interested in uh, uh, some some licensing issues, and so we're we're doing what becomes a little bit easier stuff to deal with. Although it can still be frustrating to most contractors, uh, it's it's not uh, it's not so critical that uh, you know it doesn't keep you up at night necessarily. Yeah. 
So those are fun things to work for. About. Yeah, maybe just as a fun, I don't know if it's fun or painful for you since you're in the throes of it in Florida, but as an anecdote, I know that one of the interesting policies that exists in Florida that's unique to the Florida is if you install solar above, uh, I think it's a 10 kilowatt AC, you're required to have a, an umbrella insurance policy as a homeowner, which is just an added cost. Um, and it's protecting against um, a, a really you know, a no risk scenario type of a situation. And so uh, it's an interesting policy. Not sure exactly how that one came into be. I think um, as contractors, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to scratch your head about how certain policies come into place. We, we had Brian Lynch, who is a, a 15 year veteran of the solar industry on the podcast recently. And he talked about um, in his 15 years, some of the legislature that he's seen come into place or some of the laws or regulations that he's seen come into place and regulations, once they come, come in, they're pretty difficult to get rid of. And oftentimes you'll have, you know, people that are three or four generations removed from the initial people that put the policies in that don't even know why they're there, but they're defenders of those new regulations and policies. And so, um, you know, and, and that's an example of a Florida nuance to doing solar. If you're a contractor, you, you have to all of a sudden become friends with someone that sells insurance umbrella policies because of the size of systems out there. 10 kilowatt AC system is, is not that uncommon in a Florida install. That's right. Homeowners use a lot of power trying to stay cool. Yes, they do. Um, you know, it's one of the sunniest states, to say the least, and an area where people are using a significant amount of energy. And so solar and renewables are critical. It's so important that we can actually make sure that we have a friendly environment, and friendly, a friendly economy um, to allow people to power their homes in a more responsible, better, uh, more renewable, more sustainable way. Um, obviously, on the solar podcast, we're huge advocates and altruists about um, trying to get people to use solar, not just for the economic benefits, but for the environmental benefits as well. And, and again, Florida are big consumers of energy. And so it's a market where even at the residential level, if we can get reasonable penetration with residential homeowners, we're making a significant dent in the amount of energy that's being produced by non-renewable sources. And so obviously here at the solar podcast, we're thrilled that Florida has taken steps in a positive direction to the benefit of Floridians, to the benefit of the solar industry, to the benefit of businesses like yourself, to the benefit of one of the most important industries and one of the most important growing um, industries in terms of hiring in Florida as well. I uh, wanted to give each one of you guys an opportunity. I know that we're buttoned up against the amount of time that we'd allocated. I wanted to give each guys, uh, of you an opportunity to talk about um, just as some closing comments, some of the things that you would like to see um, either from a political perspective or just from a general uh, adoption perspective of solar and uh, maybe give one last opportunity to talk about some of the things that you're excited about, either with Flossia or things that you're individually working on. I don't know if, Ben, you want to lead us out. I think we go ladies first. Oh, I think we go ladies first. I think that's appropriate. Who said chivalry is dead? Uh, thank you, Ben Millar. <laughs> Uh, and thank you, Ben Millar, for your service on the board. Um, you know, our board is a voluntary board. And so um, a membership association is only as strong as its members. Uh, and uh, Felicia is fortunate to have uh, some very thoughtful and hardworking, uncompensated uh, leadership. And so uh, I, I think the future is certainly bright there. I will uh, point out that we are having a solar conference. The Flacia Solar Summit uh, is coming up in June. 
And so if you happen to be in the Tampa Bay region and you want to get some of this wonderful Florida sunshine, please join us. Uh, we uh, have all of the information for the summit on our website, urlflaseia.org. So that's flacia.org. And uh, there's a big old button right on the front of the website for you to click to get more information about that. So now that I sound like an infomercial, uh, I will just close by saying um, the solar industry in Florida uh, is robust and ready. And I think that there are bright days ahead. So thank you for having me, Dave. You bet. Thanks so much, Beth, for the work that you did on behalf of Flacia, as well as on behalf of the solar industry as well. We'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and link uh, to that uh, the website um, as well, so that if uh, listeners are interested in, in getting more information either about this conference or about Flossia in general, we can link to the um, to your website so they can go and check that out. Great, thank you. And then, yeah, I'll just end with you know, you know, we've started a company, Sun Harvest Energy. We're having a great time with it. Uh, we're now bringing on salespeople and we're growing our team, and that is in large part because of the relief we've gotten from the CETA. So, you know, thanks thanks to the governor for that. And then, you know, from a FLACIA standpoint, if you're not already a member, join FLACIA, get involved. Well, that might be, hey, yeah, we donated money, but it also could simply be, hey, we attended some meetings and helped spread the word. It could be, hey, we went to an advocacy day. It could mean that you go to Tampa and you have an amazing time because we're right on the water. We've got restaurants, bars, yachts right there. It's going to be a really good time. Uh, so, you know, if you want to have a good time and don't necessarily want to talk about a lot of policy, that's fine too. Like, come have a great time. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a pretty um, you know coming from one of the flyover states. That's a pretty good uh, sell job. So. Um, although I will, I will admit that that Salt Lake has uh, some stunning views uh, being here nestled in the Rocky Mountains. But uh, but some, you know, over the last handful of cold months, cold and windy and rainy and snowy months we've had. Um, Florida sounded pretty, you know, sounds pretty nice to that. So, well, again, thank you so much for, for coming on today. It's been absolutely fascinating to learn both about Flossia's involvement in uh, getting this bill vetoed, understanding from the perspective of both a business owner as well as a Florida resident, what this really means for all Floridians. Um, and actually, you know, the solar industry, there was a real sigh of relief and then a, a vocal applause uh, once uh, the veto happened, because I think it really signals the overall overarching general sentiment of homeowners, of government agencies, of people in general wanting to diversify our energy away from these centralized monopolistic uh, utilities uh, and, and giving homeowners the ability to make their own energy choices. And solar is one of the most responsible, best economic uh, things that a homeowner can do. And so we're, we're thrilled um, for Florida really taking a stand and for Flossia being involved in helping to take that stand on behalf of the solar industry. Um, and we would encourage and, and we're excited for other governmental agencies 
and for other public utility commissions to take note of the way that things have been have have gone in in Florida. And we hope that uh, for Florida's benefit as well, that when uh, other investor owned utilities try to uh, wage war against net energy metering policies, that uh, they can take notice of some of the other great examples from other states that have said that this is an important thing for homeowners across the country. And uh, and again, thank you so much for coming on, Beth. It was fantastic to learn a little bit more about what it means to be a political operative. And, and Ben, we're really thrilled to understand really uh, from, from, as we said at the beginning of the podcast, from someone that's really spending time in the trenches, both on the political side, but also just working in the floor or in the solar industry from Florida. So again, thank you so much for coming on. It's been really fantastic and, and educational. So I appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Jeff.